we don't have lavish budgets to work with. We're, we're, we're inventive and we're innovative. We have great stories to tell and we have meaningful missions. But we've got to find smart ways of getting that word out that don't require a lot of resources. And for us, one of the most successful things to do is to leverage social media platforms. Welcome to 501c3BS. I'm your host, Sue Velasco, director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mihalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. My friend Stephanie L. Smith is the social media specialist for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, a joint project run through NASA and Caltech. Their social media feed was the first to win a Grammy Award for social media in 2018 and now have won their second Grammy in 2019. They've won multiple Webby Awards and were listed in Time Magazine as one of the top 50 social media feeds of all time. When Stephanie or small team of three started this feed, they had no ads budget to get the word out. They only had a compelling mission of putting robots in space. And sure, anyone with that kind of mission could draw an audience. But they build it far beyond an audience of space nerds. They build an audience of over 4 million followers. We have small budgets, small staff, and compelling missions too. So where and when we tell our story can be the difference between success and failure. I teach marketing at the Mihalo College of Business, from which the Gianneschi Center is run. In class, I teach about the three kinds of media. Owned media. Owned media are your blogs, websites, social media pages, podcasts, YouTube videos, etc. Paid media. Paid media are the ads that we really can't afford to pay, except for maybe the free ads through Google Ads. And earned media. Earned media is that sweet spot. It's the place where our stories get picked up by others and made into articles, TV newscasts, and social media viral posts. This is earned through having a great story that others want to tell. Stephanie gave us some great tips about earned media and going viral, but first she explained why they do social media. It all goes back to this section of the NASA Charter. So the Space Act of 1958 that founded NASA includes this language, which is my job's raison d'etre. Um, it requires the widest dissemination of information concerning our activities and the results thereof. So the missions and the data we get from them. It is as much a part of our DNA as an organization uh, to make and fly space missions and send explorers, whether they're robots or astronauts, to different places as it is to tell people about it. Because what good is it to make a discovery if you can't communicate it with other people? So uh, this is job security for me. Um, it's also super elastic language. It doesn't say how we do it. And it used to be that we would do press releases, we do press conferences, uh, we put out images originally, like for any, any journalists who were following uh, the Voyager missions, when they went by the outer planets for the first time, the only way to get the pictures was to physically come to JPL and have us hand you an 8x10 glossy with a mimeographed caption that went with it. And then you could go back and get it half-toned and run it in the newspaper or put it on your broadcast that evening. Oh, how things have changed. But even uh, as recently as 2008, 
we found a lot of organizations, a lot of newsrooms started cutting their science and technology reporting. The, the reporters who had come for the Mars exploration rovers landings in 2004, Spirit and Opportunity, the ones that were kind of hucked in the general direction of Mars and bounced onto the surface. When we were setting up the newsroom in 2008, or so I was told, I, I arrived at JPL in 2010, they were going through these tent carts that they had put um, on all the desks in the newsroom. And my boss was going, no, he was fired. No, doesn't work there anymore. No, that, they're out of business. We had to find another way to get the word out. We've never turned our backs on traditional media. We still write press releases. We still make the pictures available and the captions available. And we still do press conferences. But now we leverage a lot more technology to get that out. We don't require people to come physically anymore. We'll live stream the press conference. We'll take questions via email or a phone bridge or even Twitter. Uh, if you follow the hashtag AskNASA, you're going to see both reporter questions and public questions worked into all of our live streamed news events. But we also started talking directly to the public through social media. And you say, well, what platforms are you on? And I say, and um, we have, as an entire agency, less than half a cent um, of every tax dollar, and most of that money goes to human exploration. I'll tell you right now, and I, I think I'm in good company here, in exempt, you might exempt friends, right? We don't have lavish budgets to work with. We're, we're, we're inventive and we're innovative. We have great stories to tell, and we have meaningful missions, but we've got to find smart ways of getting that word out that don't require a lot of resources. And for us, one of the most successful things to do is to leverage social media platforms. I wish you could see the amazing slides Stephanie shared with great pictures from space, but you can see them for yourself by checking out our social media feeds. Just Google Mars Rover, NASA JPL, or anything related. The first step to remember is that social media is a conversation. So everything we do is 100% organic. I hope that this warms the cockles of your heart uh, because it would literally take an act of Congress for us to be able to spend money on a promoted post. Uh, haven't done it. The only branch of the government that can do that because they have had the act of Congress is the military, which is why you've seen like the Army Strong or Go Navy commercials out there. You don't see that so much for, for NASA. There are shirts at Target, but we don't get any money on those. <laughs> um, but we found several strategies, though, that help us get people excited and then have them share. If we can get someone to share, that's where we're going to grow our audience. And one of the big ways that we do it is by always remembering that it's a conversation. Right? Think about the worst parties you've ever been to, um, and getting cornered uh, by someone who only talks about themselves, please don't be that person online, right? You don't like it in real life, you don't like it online, so if someone's only in broadcast mode, hey, come to my event, hey, here's this thing that you can fund, hey, buy this thing, and then you say, oh, you have a question for them or a follow-up, and they never engage with you or answer what it is that you, you know that you would like to know what why why would you why would you continue to engage with them so we found that with every post that we put up we really do need to stick around 
sometimes it's like the most bang for your buck is the 20 minutes after you put the post out. Because um, that's where you know, the algorithms are recommending this new content. Uh, if somebody asks you one question and you respond, look at that, it's a 100% response rate. You might be able to gain those algorithms a little bit more. And it starts to snowball. People see that, ah, this is a hot conversation, or the, the, the machine learning, ah, this is hot. It may start recommending it to more people. You're also just showing that you care and that you care about what, you're taking advantage of what that medium brings and that social media is inherently interactive. It's not passive like television, but television can be interactive if it's a second screen um, with Twitter or Instagram while the conversation's going on, while the show's going on. But now that we know we've started a conversation, the best time to post on social media, particularly Instagram, according to, well, everyone on the internet, is between 2 and 3 p.m. Thursdays are the best day. 5 a.m., 11 a.m., and 4 p.m. are also great times to post. Here's a little more from Stephanie on this. And I will say that I've been, the more tools that I have at my disposal that will like make recommendations to me, the more I'm saying, like, all right, let's try this out. So if you go on Instagram and you look up your profile, um, this is for, for brand accounts. So I think you have to cross a certain threshold to be able to get these analytics to kick in. But it will tell you the day of week and the time of day that your, your user base is most active. Um, for us, we know that our Instagram audience skews younger uh, than say our Facebook or our Twitter. And there's no penalty for us to go later in the day. And so uh, sometimes we'll just wait, we'll wait to post. And we don't post as often there because we don't want to spam the audience. Twitter's a little bit more forgiving. Um, and so we might do that earlier in the day more frequently. Facebook, there'll be fewer times. Facebook also tells you when, when your friends and followers are more active. So I would say it's not a one size fits all. Look and see what's working for you guys. And sometimes it doesn't line up with uh, what your staff schedule is. And that's where scheduling can be your friend, right? You can get it all good to go and then just schedule the post to publish. The only drawback with that is that you're not around for those 20 minutes after the post goes live to be able to answer questions. If it's something really big and really important, you don't want to schedule it. Maybe you just want to set up a calendar reminder or an alarm on your phone. you like, all right, this is worth it. This is worth stepping out of that dinner for, or this is worth not going to the movie that night because it's so important to my organization. I'm going to go and I'm going to be there and I'm going to be present. To be successful, we have to use quality images. A high quality image refers to images that are both at a high resolution and high quality content. This means that the image tells a story on its own. It could hang as art in a gallery and draw a crowd, and usually looks good whether it's in black and white or color, whether it's poster size or a thumbnail. Think about the images that have literally changed America's opinion on issues. Remember the image of the Vietnamese girl running through napalm that turned the tide of the Vietnam War? Or the image of the Twin Towers burning that galvanized the world against terrorism? Or the image of a robot on Martian landscapes? A good image can be everything to a cause. Okay, photos get followers. Uh, should come as no surprise that high quality imagery 
uh, is something that you should be working into all of your posts. Text only really only works in a breaking news situation, but even there, um, a little piece of video or an image from the scene is not only going to take up more real estate on the device, we're visual creatures, um, and get you more attention, it's just going to up the chance that someone's going to share what you've got to say. Uh, we've also found on photo first platforms like Instagram, people look at the picture before they read the caption. They may never read the caption. Uh, Earth science is 30% of what JPL does. It's also one of the hardest things for us to have meaningful conversations about because it can be so politically charged. But we've made a commitment to use really, really beautiful pictures of sometimes very stark things. So we'll lure people in with this gorgeous shot of a glacier, and then we'll tell you how fast it's melting. <laughs> but if, if we don't get the likes on the pretty picture first, we can't get to the part where we're informing you about what the new science is or start to have that conversation at all. It will just keep scrolling. If it's a, if it's a sad or poorly produced photo, there's no chance. Next, it's important to know your audience. Stephanie, tell us more about that. Okay, know your audience. Oh, audience segment. Audience will inform your tone, your timing, the platform you use. If you don't know who you're reaching, use the free analytics tools that are out there right now. The ones, I gotta say, the free ones on built into Twitter, built into Instagram, built into Facebook, built into YouTube, they're pretty good. Yeah, you can spend five figures a year on some third-party analytics software or somebody to come in and tell you what the numbers mean. But if you really dig into the stuff that's freely available to you, you can learn a lot. And you can look for trends. It might not be perfect, but it's enough to be like, okay, what's my gender breakdown? Where are they? What are they interested in? So you can start to get that snapshot of who you're reaching. And if it's not everybody, then you can start to say, like, what can I do to get to that group of people? What is that? Where, where do those people hang out online? And go fish in those fishing holes. Setting the right tone is everything. You have to set the right tone for the right audience. Not everyone who follows you are the same group following you for the same reason. A lot of you are into the what ifs and the science of this. And I would say for you, follow the NASA JPL accounts. Um, there are a lot of people out there who frankly don't care and who are uh, afraid that they are going to meet their maker at the hands of a low-flying space rock. And those are most of the people we've found following our Asteroid Watch Twitter account. We can't use the same language on the two. We tried. We tried and it did not work. So saying things like, oh my gosh, this thing's going to come really close to Earth, and then we're going to be able to bounce radio waves off it, and we're going to see what shape it is, and isn't that cool? And they were like, how close? And when and how do you know? And, and, and there was a genuine concern there. There was one time that we tried to tell them about um, a program that had an application period that was ending very soon, and we started the tweet with, hurry! And they said, don't ever start a tweet here with that again, because they thought that it was the end of the world. And so from that, we have learned, we really do need to watch our language and know who we're talking to. IRL, 
in real life interactions are very important. How can we use social networks to create in real life networks? I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and advocate for the, the in real life, um, the effects of, of that kind of community and that kind of conversation. I am all for technology. I'm all for augmented reality. I'm all for distance learning. But I don't think it's gonna ever be uh, an either or situation. I don't ever think that those classrooms are gonna be totally empty because of the power of face-to-face -face interactions. And this conference could have been totally virtual. Uh, and maybe in the future, you have as many people, if not more, watching online and chatting and, and having a virtual telepresence in the room. But there's something special about face-to-face -face interactions that can completely change the way that people relate to each other over time. And one of the things that we have been experimenting with for the last decade is a program called NASA Social, where we invite people who have interacted with us online to come and be part of some in real life experience, like a launch or a landing, to meet our scientists, meet our engineers, ask questions, take pictures, take video, and then go make something and put it out there. Put it out where their friends and followers will be able to see it. We know if we're gonna to try to reach that widest possible audience, we can't do it all ourselves. We don't have the resources, and we certainly don't always know the right words to say to engage certain communities. So what we do is try to empower creators inside of those communities, particularly ones we don't usually reach, give them the access and the, and the materials that they need to go make something that can start a meaningful conversation in their community, and then, watch the, the knowledge grow, watch the, the reach and engagement grow. So these folks all came up to Vandenberg Air Force Base for the launch of the Orbiting Carbon Observatory 2, it's an Earth science mission that is sitting at the very top of this Delta II rocket. Uh, the day before launch, we took everybody on a behind the scenes tour of the base and we got to go out to the launch pad. And of course we let them take rocket selfies because, you know, if you can't take rocket selfies at a NASA social, where can you take selfies? <laughs> the importance of influencers. Before I started teaching a marketing class for 120 business students, I was under the impression that all millennials and centennials just magically were great at social media. I think we baby boomers often make that assumption. We think we could just hire any student and they will make our social media feeds just sing. But after teaching marketing, I found out this isn't the case. We did a social media challenging class. Only eight out of 120 students actually did well at social media in this challenge. It's a lot harder than we give credit for. And all eight of those who succeeded had one thing in common, the use of influencers in their feeds. Each of them had an influencer repost their content and that caused it to take off. In some cases, they knew the influencer and orchestrated the post. In others, the influencer found them organically. But a post didn't take off without them. An influencer is a person with thousands of followers on their social media. They follow something and their followers automatically are attracted to it. They are the celebrity endorsements of the digital age. It is almost impossible for a post to go viral without an influencer reposting it first. Stephanie told the story about the importance of her influencers. We've had teachers who use digital tools in the classroom. We've had 
graphic artists who make comic books. We've had musicians who wanted to come and get found sound of a rocket launch. Um, we've had people who are really great at live blogging. We've had videographers. We've had Instagram influencers. We had a hip hop dancer come to the Insight Landing, and she just has she has her Instagram account, and then like her super fans have other Instagram accounts that kind of analyze like what was she wearing, what was she doing, and where was she today. And then suddenly they were all talking about space because she was at our event. And that's, that's a group of people we didn't ordinarily speak with. There was one gentleman who had been a, uh, a participant on an MTV dating show and developed quite a large uh, Twitter following, mostly of 13 and 14 year old girls. <laughs> and he was at this event. Um, he used his platform to engage them. So he was online live chatting with them while he was in the press conference with the scientists and engineers, and they were asking him questions, and he was their proxy. And then we saw a tweet afterwards, and one of the, one of the girls was like, I never knew science could be so sexy. We <laughs> <laughs> were like, thanks, Ryan, because that probably would not, and an engagement that would not have happened otherwise with the Orbin Carbon Observatory, too. We got some great questions. The question was asked, how do you handle negative responses to your post? Do you have any experience or guidance for the kind of the more negative hashtagging that happens? Oh, yeah. Um, every day I post a beautiful picture like this. Like, this is a real picture. I mean, it is, it is a mosaic from individual frames that are, are put together. Um, and so there's some processing that goes on. But these, these pixels came from the Cassini spacecraft at Saturn. I guarantee you, if I tweet this, there will be fake news, NASA, CGI, lies. <laughs> and there's a certain amount of thick skin that you have to have to be able to like, you know, sort of gird your loins and go into social media on a daily basis and to not take it personally. Um, but you ignore that, right? You ignore those. I will tell my staff and tell myself, don't feed the trolls. The question is determining whether somebody is trolling, or whether they're confused, or whether they have a legitimate question. So sometimes we'll get questions in our like live moderated chats, or on Twitter, that kind of walk right up to that line, and you're not sure where the person is. And so we might do an initial engagement with them that's never going to be attacking. We never want to talk down to anyone. We want to meet them where they are. Um, oftentimes, people do have legitimate questions. And you can figure out within one or two interactions whether they're legit or not, whether they're there just to pick a fight, and then you can let it go. And, you know, It's a resources management issue for us. We, there are three of us. And we're, you know, we're trying to be on 14 places at the same time. Um, there's only so much that we can do with one individual. But what is great is when we do find out that that person did have a legitimate question, but they asked it in a way that you couldn't tell. There's no sarcasm font. And, and it's easy to assume the worst. But maybe they really didn't get it. When, when Curiosity was hurtling towards Mars, um, I talked about how fast the capsule was going relative to Earth. And then when we started to get closer, it was relative to Mars. 
and people didn't understand why they were different, or like the distances, like the distance from Earth and the distance from Mars. And they, they thought I was lying, or that I had made a mistake, and I was like, no, 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 the, the, both planets are moving, and so those distances are always changing, and then you can see the light bulb go on. And when that happens, it's awesome. And it kind of restores my faith in humanity. <laughs> when you realize that somebody just didn't know. It's, it's, it, you know, and you can, it, ignorance is something that you can, you, we can talk, we have, oh, here, here's the knowledge, here's, here's the information, and they go, oh, no, I know, cool, thank you. Sometimes they don't think anybody reads the comments, and when you start to interact with them as a human being, uh, they go, oh, <laughs> oh, there's a person on the other end of this. It's not just a chatbot, oh. And then they'll start to treat you differently. And you can build you can build relationships over time. Build fans that way. Stephanie, do you have any pro tips for working the algorithms and getting better SEO or search engine optimization? Oh boy, um, I wish that I knew all the juju that goes into all of them. But there are a few tricks that I've learned along the way. Uh, YouTube, just YouTube. Anybody here? YouTube? No? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Um, for YouTube and across the boards, uh, for search engine optimization, use the words that people you want to see your stuff would probably use to describe whatever the thing is you want them to see. So yesterday, I was looking at a, a robotics video we're gonna post today. Guess what word didn't appear in the title of the video? Robotics, robotics or robot. Kind of autonomous systems. And I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how people talk. If, if any of you have ever worked in, in um, you know, like newsletter design or magazine design, the way stories are described on the cover of that magazine or that publication is almost never going to match up directly with the title of the article. The title of the article can be esoteric or cute or clever, but it's going to be keywords on that cover. Use the keywords in the social post. Use it in the titles of your stuff. Use it in the first line of your copy. I mean, you've got other places to be to be clever, be clear. And if you ever have, if you have to make the choice, just be clear. How can we follow you? Um, if you're interested, or if you know someone who might be interested uh, in checking out the NASA Social Program, you can watch the hash, hashtag NASA Social. You can follow the Twitter account at NASA Social, or you can just go to this good old website right here, nasa.gov/social, and we'll tell you. Um, you can look up both uh, listings of past events to get a sense of what might be coming. I can tell you right now that Mars 2020, that rover that we're building in the clean room, it's going to launch about a year from now. So July 2020, um, my team and I will be down at Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral waiting for a huge Atlas V rocket to take off. And uh, we will probably have 75 to 150 people who get credentialed with us. And so if you're interested in coming behind the scenes, you can apply. And it is an application process. When we started this, it was a total gamble. Can we even get people to drive across the LA Basin at 5 o'clock to come and meet our scientists? We had like 100 spaces, and the 
tickets, the tickets were free tickets, but they were gone inside of an hour. And we had people flying internationally for it. Like, hmm, maybe there's something here. <laughs> so now uh, it is a, a very light, it's a fairly painless application process, but we do require a short essay and we ask people to share where they're putting their creations online. You know, so what are your Twitter handles, what's your Insta, what's your blog, whatever. We don't discriminate, we just want to know where you're going and who do you talk to. So by having those creators tell us the audiences they reach, we can look for segments we're having trouble engaging and then work together with the national social community to have those conversations. And last question, Stephanie, what was it like to win an Emmy? Shiny. <laughs> was it fun to the ceremony? It was. And frankly, we like there there were there were twelve of us who got to represent the work of over a hundred people. It was a very much a, a concerted team effort of everybody in the communications and education directorate and then other people working at NASA headquarters. But a few of us lucky locals got to go to that red carpet and we thought all right, this is it. We're going to make the most out of it because we're up against Disney, Pixar, uh, Spider-Man, Marvel, which is now, it's all Disney, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the mouse is, is they, they've been down this road so many times before that they, they would own it. They would just own it. And so we thought it was an honor to be nominated. Let's go put on some fancy clothes and have a good time. Uh, we got to meet Jane Lynch on the red carpet, she was the host of, um, of the Creative Arts Emmys that night, and uh, we had our picture taken, all this stuff, and we're like, okay, well, afterwards we're gonna go for a really nice dinner. <laughs> and, and then we won, and we were four rows from the back of the theater. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave the, you like, that should have been like, you weren't going to win, right? Yeah, we were just out in Siberia watching this happen. And um, you give them a, like, they ask everybody for a really short clip of uh, main title music if you win. And, and like, that's the whole time that you have to get on stage and start speaking. And, speaking. Wow. and so, like, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, God, what if we win? What if we win? We win. I, I got I to gotta get my boss on that stage so she, start, she can actually start talking so they don't play us off right before we're on. And so, and so, and the Wyatt's an accent, the winner is, yes, it's Jack Pulsion Laboratory. It's like, no! <laughs> <laughs> and so you can see my arm around her, just, and she's like, oh, let's wait. I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, and, and then Bill and I was in the front row because that was also the uh, 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And, yeah, and, he, and so he was doing this big Star Trek tribute and, and he, he stood up and did the We're Not Worthy Bow. And that was a pretty awesome moment because he used to run home from school to watch Bill and I as a science guy. So yeah, it was cool. I highly recommend it. You guys should all do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Awesome! Okay. Go out for a nice dinner afterwards. <laughs> it was a pleasure to have Stephanie L. Smith, the lead of the social media team of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, to come as my guest and be our keynote speaker on the marketing day of the G3X conference in 2019. 
So just to reiterate the important out of the world thinking Stephanie brought to life for us, just remember these four things. One, it's a conversation. Post at a good time, usually late afternoon. Don't just post about you, you, and you. Ask questions, share posts from partners, spend 20 minutes after posts talking with your audience, which also raises your profile. Two, use amazing high quality images that are worthy of going viral and tell a great story. Three, know your audience, set the right tone for that audience. Use the right language to help people find you through search engines, meaning clear terms and labels that normal people use for what they do or say. Find your influencers and incorporate them into the conversation. Treat them as you would a big funder because they can drive traffic to your cause. Four, see how you can translate your social media into real life networks in action. In our business, that might include peer-to-peer DIY fundraisers, crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, invites to special events, and program tours. I think if we can all do these things, we will move our mission successfully online. Thank you, Stephanie, for teaching us how to go collecting too. Thank you for listening to 501c3 BS, deprogramming for organizational growth. I'm your host, Zufalasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First 100 Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.